So great to see you all. Glad that you're all here. Um, it's beautiful weather outside. It's, you know, people are up in the mountains enjoying themselves, but you, the faithful, the sheep, as opposed to the goats, are here, and God is going to bless us this morning for sure. One person that he has blessed richly is Ron Zager. Where's Ron this morning? Yes, there you are. Ron, you know, last week we heard that Ron was just about ready to see the Lord. And uh, he, he has been blessed, I think, with a good diagnosis this week and is doing better. He's received some treatment. And you're, you're, for all intents and purposes, you're fine and on the road back to full health. Is that correct? Can I take you to lunch? <laughs> That's absolutely wonderful. I am so grateful that you said that. <laughs> Let's pray this morning. I want to pray and ask God to be with us as we look at a few things from Scripture today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the blessing we have of being together. We pray that you'd bless us in every way. Father, we pray that uh, for those who are not here this morning, we pray that they would be thinking of you, honoring you, glorifying you. If they're out in the mountains somewhere enjoying this beautiful day that you've made, we pray, God, that they give you honor and glory for it today. We thank you that we can be here this morning and as a group of people gathered in your name, worshiping and praising you. It's through Jesus we pray. Amen. This morning, I'm going to have you look at your Bibles uh, a lot. Okay, so just be ready for that. I'll give you the page numbers that I want you to turn to. And, uh, and I, I pray that this is a blessing uh, for you. One of the things that churches don't do as well as they should, and, and especially when it comes to this subject of outreach that we're looking at uh, right now. We, you know, we've been looking for weeks now at the subject of outreach, reaching other people with the good news of Jesus, helping the lost. And there really are lost people in this world. Sometimes we, we don't give as much notice to the fact that people are lost without Christ. Right now, we need so badly to be reaching the world for Jesus. And churches don't often enough pray about the idea of reaching the lost for Christ. And so this morning, we're going to look specifically at that. Next week, we're going to talk specifically about some ways that you can look at the Bible, biblical passages, the story of the gospel. So, Ron, if that's what you were thinking we're going to do this morning, we're going to do it next week. I don't know if you knew what was coming. But at any rate, we're going to be uh, talking this week about praying for those who are lost, and the next week talk specifically about the things that we can do to teach people the gospel. But people don't pray enough about reaching the, the lost with the good news of Jesus. And let me show you what I mean here. Turn to Matthew chapter 9. Uh, verse 35. That's on page 687, by the way. I got a little bit behind here with this glitch this morning, and so I didn't get the page numbers actually on the PowerPoint, but it's page 687. And uh, this says it's going to do a hardware scan in just a moment, so let me not do that. There we go. This is what I need. Matthew 935. And you'll notice, this is the, basically the same passage that we've been reading now for weeks. Oftentimes we read it from Matthew 4.23, but it's the same kind of verses. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. 
And every time I read that, I think to myself, that's just exactly what we have today. When I look around our world and all the people who need Jesus so badly, these lost that I just mentioned a moment ago, they really seem to me like, like hapless, helpless sheep without a direction, without any kind of direction that they're following. You know, we sit here in the office sometimes and we watch people all day long walk through our parking lot. And, I, and I'm amazed at the different facets of people, different kinds of people that walk through our parking lot. But it's not surprising to look at people and think to themselves, there goes another wayward soul. And every time we have somebody who goes to the back door over here, and we watch in the camera, because we've got cameras up here in the wall now, we can see uh, with the cameras what's happening in the back parking lot. And every time somebody goes back there and they do drugs, or they're doing something else that's ungodly, uh, or they're using our property as a toilet, or whatever they're doing, and we see these kind of things all the time, every time I see it, I think, you know, there's another broken life. And sometimes I even, I hesitate to call the police when something bad even can be going on back there, because I think, this is a broken life, and I'm going to get the police involved, and their life is just going to be more broken because of the police involvement. And so it's, it's hard to know sometimes what to do. Sh- uh, sheep without a shepherd, wayward, lost people, and we see them everywhere around us. Well, then look at verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And I just, it strikes me that Jesus is specifically asking his disciples to pray. Ask the Lord to send out workers. And it's because there is a harvest field that is, it's ripe for the harvest in the sense that there are broken lives everywhere. They so badly need Jesus. They certainly need God's intervention. And Jesus says, pray for this. Pray for this. God wants to do something in our world, but we need to be there as faithful prayers, asking God to bless these people. And God says that he will indeed bless them. Then I want you to look at Luke chapter 10, verse 2. And this is on page uh, 734. And this is striking. You know, there's only two places in the New Testament where these verses, uh, where this same comment is made, this same request for prayer. And I want you to notice the context in this case. Luke chapter 10, verse 2. Uh, Verse 1 says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. So Jesus is getting, he's sending people out specifically to reach people with the good news about the kingdom of God. God is doing something wonderful with the kingdom. And now he's, he's getting ready to send the disciples out and basically to do exactly what he's been doing. Like that's the idea. Jesus is saying, go do what I have been doing. And he gets ready to send them out. But notice that just before he sends them out, in verse 2 it says, he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And so again, and, and again, these are the only two places in the New Testament where that specific line is mentioned. In this context specifically, it's when people are getting ready to be sent out in the name of Jesus with the kingdom of God the message about the kingdom of God. So they're going into the world with the message about the kingdom and Jesus says, before you go, I'm going to send you out. Before you go, I want you to pray. I want you to ask God to bless those who don't know the good news with workers who will go into the 
fields with this good news. And so prayer is specifically mentioned, and we could even say commanded by Jesus. Jesus says, go and pray before you go. All right? So that's obviously a large part, an important part of reaching people with the good news of the kingdom. And so here's what I would say. I would say that it makes total sense that prayer would be so crucial to reaching people for Christ because conversion is a spiritual mystery. The reason that Jesus asks us to pray and to send forth workers is because God is going to work through those workers. But how is he going to work through them? What's going to be special about these workers? Well, there's something about God's blessing within them as they go with this good news, this message of the kingdom, which is a mystery. And which needs then spiritual influence, spiritual prayer to be part of the deal. And here's how I know that. I want you to turn in your Bibles, in this case, to page 752 and look at John chapter 3. We know this verse pretty well. This isn't quite like Acts 2.38 worthy, okay? But it is close. If there's anybody who knows this passage in John chapter 3 verses 5 through 8, it's those in churches of Christ. We've got this one down. So John chapter 3, and look at verse 5. I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the Spirit. And we love that verse. We love it because it it talks specifically about baptism and the need to be baptized. The, The notion that water here has an impact. We like that part. One of the parts that we don't emphasize near as much, however, is the second part of the verse. That he is born of Spirit also. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. And the point is, is that when God is in the process of converting someone, convincing them about who he is and who Jesus is, The spirit is right at the center of that conversion. This is a spiritual kind of act. And it makes sense to me if this is a spiritual kind of act that we would be praying for God to intercede. Whether he sends out workers who have this message and who communicate the good news of Jesus by just being there filled with the spirit themselves and able to communicate or he does it through the act of the spirit in the course of them sharing the gospel. It's a spiritual event. It's a mysterious event. God is working on the hearts of individuals. And so we need to be praying, if for no other reason, that God sends his spirit as a part of the message because it is indeed such a spiritual event. Now, the early church was not uh, ignorant about all of this information in terms of what it means to pray for and ask for God to bless the communication of the gospel. So I want to show you a couple of examples in the book of Acts. Turn to Acts chapter 1. It's on page 770 in your pew Bibles. Acts chapter 1. And you know, we've looked at this verse so many times over the last few years that it's, you know, this has been one of those thematic verses. Preachers get in big time ruts. They can't get out of them, okay? And I have been in a rut when it comes to Acts chapter 1. I love Acts chapter 1. And I love what 
this says about who we are as witnesses. And so when I look at verse 8, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that's the context for everything that happens really in the book of the, uh, the rest of the book of Acts. They are going to be his witnesses. But I want you to notice a couple of other verses here, which I think are really significant when it comes to, to fleshing out this notion of prayer in response to this. Look at verse 12, first of all. It says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, it says, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. The text says that right after Jesus left and made them witnesses of the good news of Christ, they went to a room by themselves and were constantly in prayer. And if nothing else, I would think that we would ask ourselves at this point, well, is that what we do? Are we, are we constantly in prayer? And I know you can't constantly be in prayer in the sense that you've got a life to live. We've got things to do. I understand that. But as a church, can there, there not be a sense about us in which we are constantly in prayer, asking God to bless those around us with the good news of Jesus? And then I want to ask you this question. What happens after they spend this constant time in prayer? Well, Matthias is appointed an apostle. It says right at the end of the chapter that he is also a witness with them to who Jesus is. And then what happens in Acts chapter 2? Church, what goes on in Acts chapter 2 after the apostles have been praying constantly about their role as witnesses to the world about Jesus? What happens in Acts chapter 2? Exactly. Peter preaches and 3,000 people are saved. And it's not just because Peter was a good preacher. In fact, I love it. It's not dependent on the preacher. It's the Holy Spirit who responds to the prayers of the church. And so they pray in Acts chapter 1. And in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes on the church and does something absolutely wonderful. Well, I like all that. I like it a lot. I love the idea that the church would pray and that the Holy Spirit would come and do something dramatic in the lives of these people who then preach to the world and God changes lives because of their prayer. Well, it gets, I won't say it gets better than that. That's absolutely wonderful, but it certainly continues. I want you to notice in Acts chapter 3, verse 1, what's happening with Peter and John. Just turn the pages over to there. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. It says, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. It's interesting to me that Peter and John, who are Jews, have an option for their lives about how much they're going to keep the Jewish acts, the Jewish rituals that have been going on in their lives for a long time. We know that they don't keep the sacrifices any longer, but notice that one of the things they keep is the daily prayer time. Jews were typically going up to the, prayer, uh, to the temple to pray a couple of different times a day, and Peter and John obviously are continuing that practice. And what happens when they do? They go up to pray, and they've probably been going up to pray every day. And when they do, they meet a man who is lame, and they heal him. 
The Holy Spirit works through their ministry. Then because of their ministry, they're arrested. So in Acts chapter 4, the Sanhedrin talked to them for quite a while and say, you know, you need to stop this. They end up saying, no, we need to do what God wants us to do, not what men need to, uh, want us to do. And then I want you to look at Acts chapter 4, verse 23. That's on page 773. And this is absolutely beautiful. Acts chapter 4, verse 23. On their release, Peter and John... Now, they've just healed a guy. They've been arrested. God is clearly doing something in their ministry and working. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices uh, together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against our, your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. And now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. And so the people are praying here specifically in response to what's happened to Peter and John. Verse 30, stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders for the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And then look at verse 31. After they prayed. The place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. And do you see what the direct result of their commitment to Christ? They're continuing to preach the gospel, but mainly, I think, their commitment to prayer in response to the gospel does for them. They pray in Acts chapter 1. The Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2 specifically in response to that prayer concerning their witnessing. And then they continue to have opportunity after opportunity to witness all because of their prayer to the point where in verse 23, after they come back, God is clearly among them in direct response to the prayers that they make to him concerning their witness to the world about Jesus. This is significant. God is responding to the prayers of his people and doing wonderful things, bringing people to him In one case, 5,000, I think that's in verse 4 of chapter 4, 5,000 people come to Christ in one instance, 3,000 people come to Christ in another instance, and so much of it is not because Peter can preach well, but because Peter can pray well. Because the Holy Spirit comes in response to those prayers. Now, one more bit of proof here. Look at Acts 13. This is on page 781 in the Pew Bibles. Acts chapter 13. I want you to look at verse 1. In the church at Antioch, 
There were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. And my point here is that that whole passage smacks of worship and prayer and the presence of the Spirit. And Paul and Barnabas are named as missionaries and go out in the name of Christ and end up changing the course of all of history. Because the church was willing to get together and worship and pray and accept the presence of the Spirit. And God, through that, worked. What a contrast it is when, a long time ago now, I heard a leader in a church in the middle of an elders meeting say to me, I don't think prayer really accomplishes anything. And I was shocked. And I wanted to say, I didn't say, but I wanted to say with sadness, not condemnation. How faithless. How sad. How tragic it is that you, a leader in the church of Jesus Christ, in the church that is governed by the Holy Spirit, would say that you have no confidence in God's willingness to answer our prayers. That is a tragedy. And if a church thinks to itself, God will not answer our prayers, that church is in trouble. That church is anemic. Church is spiritless. We can do all the human planning we can do. We can organize ourselves to death. We can make all kinds of wonderful decisions about all kinds of things. But if we are not a people of prayer when it comes to sharing with others the good news of Jesus, we might as well all just go to the mountains on the long weekend. Because God isn't going to be able to do anything among us anyway. Some of you read a book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire by Jim Cimbala, a guy who founded a church in Brooklyn, New York. Years ago now, I've heard Jim speak one time here in Calgary about three or four years ago. Started a church in, in a ghetto area of Brooklyn. He tells a story about how he went into this little tiny church. Nothing worked. The pews were all broken. The heat didn't work. The lights didn't work. It was the, the, the building itself was a disaster, and they had no money. And so they just started praying. They would get together on Tuesday nights and pray. And it started with just a handful of people who got together on Tuesday nights and prayed. But in a very short order, God began to do things. One of the really great blessings was his wife, Carolyn, or Carol, 
was really talented at leading vocal groups. And so they started a little choir in their church and started inviting people from the neighborhood to come and join this choir and be part of this church. And the people loved to sing. The heat didn't work and the lights weren't always on, but they got together and they sang and they prayed on Tuesday nights. And he recounts how wonderful things began to happen and this choir began to grow. Well, the, the choir now, with their church of thousands, is quite famous, the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. It's a huge deal. And if you ask Jim Cimbala and ask him to credit what it is that created their effort in Brooklyn and what made things happen the way it did, he, he certainly wouldn't say it's because of his preaching. He wouldn't even say it's because of his wife's ability to lead a, a choir. What he would say is that it was that Tuesday night prayer group. That when people got together on Tuesday nights and began to pray, that God chose to do something and change everything about who they were as a church. And so Symbolist says, no matter what I preach or what we came to believe in our heads, the future will depend upon our times of prayer. And I think that's exactly right. Charles Spurgeon said this. The condition of the church may be very accurately gauged by its prayer meetings. So is the prayer meeting a graceometer. And from it we may judge of the amount of divine working among a people. If God be near a church, it must pray. And if he be not there, one of the first tokens of its absence will be a slothfulness in prayer. And so I go back to my friend in church leadership who said, prayer accomplishes nothing. I think perhaps it's the case then that at least at that point in his life, God wasn't as present as he should have been. Because it would seem as though that Spurgeon is right and that God wants to bless us, chooses to bless us when we pray. A few years ago, the Hills Church in Fort Worth, Texas began reaching a lot of people for Christ. I mentioned this sometime in the last couple of weeks. They're now baptizing more than 400 people a year. Their preacher, Rick Ashley, um, who actually was here in 2006 and spoke to our church, is a friend of Robin's and mine because when we were in university at Abilene Christian, Rick was the brand new preacher at the Southern Hills Church in Abilene. And he was just a young guy, 22, 23 years old. And, you know, we were in university. He had just finished university. We saw him all the time, he and his wife, Janie. In fact, Jamie, in fact, we knew them before they were married. And Robin and I had a chance to spend just a few minutes uh, with Rick and Jamie at Pepperdine this year, uh, after the end of a class, I went over and said hi to Jamie, and, and uh, then Rick came in from teaching a class, and we just stood and talked for a few moments. And, and I asked him how things were going about the evangelism and all that, and he said, and I think I mentioned this in the last couple of weeks, that he said, we have baptisms every Sunday. And he said, I cannot tell you what a joy it is to, to know every Sunday when I go to church that somebody is going to be baptized into Jesus. And it wasn't very long ago 
that Rick shared a series of lessons on evangelism and was talking about specifically what they did to make that happen in their church. And just like Symbola, and just like Spurgeon, what Rick said was, it's attributable to prayer. It's because our church decided that we were going to pray. And so they started a prayer ministry specifically devoted to praying for converting people to Jesus Christ. And their ministry turned around, and as I said, over the last few years, they've been baptizing 400 people a year. Now, when I hear things like that, I think to myself, I'll just take 10%. Give me 40 a year, and I will be pleased as punch. And so, church, I really want us to take seriously this notion of praying to God and asking him to bless us with the ability to reach other people for Jesus Christ. But we need to be intentional and plan for this and actually do this. Like it seems to me that the lost people in the world are worth a few moments of our attention to prayer. And if God is going to bless us because we prayed about people coming to Jesus in this place, then we need to pray. And so listen for this, because in the next weeks, months, something is going to happen here. I don't know what it is yet. But something is going to happen here regarding our prayerfulness and praying specifically for those who are lost. And so I hope that you have a heart that enables you to be ready for this, to pray. And God is indeed going to bless us. Because here's the problem. We will not make it without prayer. We've said that it's difficult for a church that's been around as long as ours has to do the kind of evangelistic work that God wants us to do. It will not happen. Things won't change. My prophecy will come true about us not being able to do it if we don't pray. And I don't want to be here five years from now looking back and saying, you know what, we could have done this, but we decided not to pray. We need to pray. And if we do, I, I have faith that God will bless us and he will bring people to us. And through his spirit, he will convert them. And will baptize them in the name of Jesus because we prayed and God answered those prayers. And so I hope you're with me. I hope I'm the person that I need to be in terms of praying. Because we have some wonderful things that God wants to do through us. We need to pray about it. Let's do that right now. Lord Jesus, I know that you want to bless us by helping us see other people come to you. We know, God, that you want to bring them to you. And so, Father, I pray that you would indeed bring them. I pray that you would help your spirit, send your spirit to work in their lives, that they will be in their hearts, their minds, transformed by you, by the good word of the good news of the kingdom. 
use us, God. Open our hearts to others. Enable us to, to be there for you and your spirit as we preach to others about who Jesus is. We need you. We can't do this alone. But we believe that you can do it. Please work among us, God, we pray through Christ. Amen.